Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com slash cults. The Branch Davidians, The Anthill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. This episode features dramatizations of gore. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single account of Ahul. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. As we continue our international exploration of cryptids, we head to the island of Java, where we join the hunt for Ahul, a bat-like monster in the Indonesian rainforest. Named for the sound of its haunting call, Ahul's leathery wings and brutish face are enough to give anyone nightmares. Its discovery is a testament to our innate desire to leave a legacy, even in the midst of a vast natural world. Coming up, a scientist risks everything for a single photograph of a monster. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Though Ahul was spotted in the Javan rainforests, it isn't part of Indonesian myth. Unlike many of the other monsters in this show, Ahul doesn't stem from a certain culture or local folklore. Instead, Ahul owes its existence to the field of zoology. 
Zoology is the study of the animal world, where scientists research and categorize new species, of which there are plenty. Charles Darwin alone discovered hundreds of previously uncatalogued creatures. And though modern humans have been on the planet for tens of thousands of years, some researchers estimate that nearly 86% of creatures have yet to be uncovered. In short, there's a lot out there we don't know. The rainforests of Indonesia are home to at least 3,000 different animals, including Javan leopards, pygmy elephants, and Sumatran rhinos. Some of the largest bats on the planet are found in this part of the world, including the flying fox. Some species of this megabat have wingspans of over 5 feet in length, but even it has nothing on a hool. Ahul was first spotted in 1925 by naturalist Ernst Bartels in the Salak mountain region of Java. Flying above the forest canopy, its leathery wings stretched a width of over 10 feet. Unlike a bat, Ahul's terrifying face was flat, human-like, with large, beady eyes. Its body was covered in gray fur, and its feet were somehow twisted backwards. In the world of zoology, it pays to discover a new species. Your legacy lives on forever. Plus, you even get to name the new animal. Bartles named Ahul for the haunting sound it made while screeching overhead, a call that tormented him for the rest of his life. Rupert plopped his pack on the wet rocks next to the river, the light barely peeked through the thick leaves above. He took a swig from the flask in his vest. He should probably be drinking water, but it wasn't water. Maybe getting drunk wasn't his best idea, but Rupert was bored. He was never much for school. His father wanted him to get a science degree, so here he was, at field camp in the sweltering Salak Mountain region. As the rest of the crew catalogued thick vines and alien-looking flowers, Rupert wandered off the path. Why bother trying, he thought, when you can sit and drink? If he failed the class and dropped out, so be it. He knew that no matter what he did, he'd never be good enough for his dad. He dipped his hand into the flowing river and closed his eyes. For a moment, he was soothed by the cool stream. He forgot about his father, about his failures, about the tuition he was wasting. He wished he could just disappear. When he fell in, he realized he was drunker than he thought. He felt the mud seeping into his pants and groaned. Everyone said he was a fool. Maybe that's exactly what he was. But then, Rupert heard some leaves rustle in the treetops above. Pulling himself out of the riverbed, he looked up toward the sliver of blue sky between the emerald leaves. And that's when he heard it, the cry. An ancient, icy howl boomed into Rupert from above, shaking him to his core. His heart felt like it had been hollowed out with a spoon. He'd heard stories of blind men blessed with the knowledge of God's power. That's exactly how he felt. Except he could still see, and there it was, in the treetops. Not just a cry, but a living, flying beast. He'd never seen something so strange, so terrifying. A nightmarish angel, a bird, a man, a monster, a god. 
The creature soared directly over Rupert, its black eyes bored deep into his. A red mouth stretched into a scowl as if in agony, and for a moment its infinite wings blocked out the sun, plunging Rupert into darkness. Night enveloped the forest while the demonic figure descended toward him. But a moment later, the nightmare was gone. Light swam over the leaves. The trees above were bare. Rupert blinked in confusion, but he knew he hadn't imagined that. How could he come up with such a thing? He'd just laid eyes on the unknown. Finally, he had something of note to bring to his father. His heart started to speed up once again, this time not with fear, but excitement. Since he was the first to come upon the terrible sight, he'd be in charge of naming the beast. A name must inspire awe, wonder, and reflect the essence of the creature. How could he possibly summarize something so unknowable? That's when he remembered its sound, the haunting call that came before the sight, a siren before the bombing. It sounded like the howl of a wolf or the chilling hoot of an owl. It sounded like... Ahul. Rupert returned to Germany. He hated visiting his parents' home. The stuffy bookshelves felt claustrophobic. His father's awards lined the walls, mocking Rupert's lack of achievement. They read, Edward G. Meyer, Ornithology Award, Ruprecht Karl University of Heidelberg. Edward G. Meyer, Excellence in Naturalism, his father Edward had discovered so many species in the islands of Southeast Asia that Rupert lost count. The Meyer wood owl, bright red birds of paradise, even a bat or two. But Rupert knew that his father had never seen something like Ahul. He'd finally outmatched him. Once he told him the news, Edward would look at Rupert and say the word that Rupert had longed to hear for his entire life, proud. Edward invited Rupert into the study. He placed his round glasses over his sharp nose, a sign he was ready to conduct serious work. Come now, boy, tell me about this new species you mentioned in your letter. Rupert told Edward the story, leaving out the drunken fall, of course. He explained the massive shape, the pterodactyl-like wings, and the haunting ape-like face. Edward hung on every word, his brow furrowed in concentration, his gray eyes focused like a tiger's. It was everything Rupert hoped for, until Edward stopped him. He asked if Rupert took home the specimen for study. Rupert shook his head. Did he take a photograph? Rupert again said no. Finally, Edward said, Did you take any record of the animal? At this, Rupert smiled. As soon as he returned to his camp, he took to his notebook, turned to a fresh page, and sketched the most accurate depiction of the Ahul he could muster. He'd only taken one art class as a boy, but the shading, the detail, the scale, it was all top-notch. Rupert laid the illustration across his father's desk. For the first time, Edward took in the full immensity of the creature. The talon claws, the horrible wings. He bent closer to the page. The room was silent. Seconds went by. To Rupert, it felt like days. Finally, his father spoke. Rupert, my boy, 
I am stunned. Here it was, the moment Rupert had been waiting for. I'm stunned at how you briefly convinced me that you're anything more than a complete humiliation. Rupert stammered. But I discovered a new species, just like you. Edward shot back. This is not discovery. This is not the scientific method. This is fantasy, stupidity. Rupert really did see the Ahul, but Edward said discovering a new species wasn't just about spotting it. One had to record the specimen, submit it to peer-reviewed journals. That was science. All Rupert had was a cartoon. Rupert was crushed, but Edward wasn't done. He gave his son one final word of advice. If you really want to prove the existence of this Ahul, then bring me a photograph. Maybe then I'll be impressed. Rupert knew what he had to do. From that moment on, he decided that he wouldn't rest until he was able to return to Indonesia, until he re-experienced that great visage, until he had proof. Coming up, Rupert goes from hunter to hunted. Listeners, I have a very special announcement. Parcast is releasing its first book on July 12th, and you can help us celebrate. It's called Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. This book was written for the fans, so to commemorate its launch, Parcast will be throwing some exclusive in-person and online events featuring popular true crime hosts such as Ashley Flowers from Crime Junkie, Christine and M from And That's Why We Drink, and more. Just visit parcast.com slash cults for event dates, locations, and how to sign up. See your favorite true crime authors and podcasters discuss the cults book and have a chance to participate in live Q&As. These events have limited space, so don't miss out. RSVP today. None of this would be possible without your support, so we truly hope you'll join us. Pre-order your copy of Cults and sign up for upcoming events at parcast.com slash cults. Ahul was out there. For the last two years, Rupert had thought of nothing else. He'd quit drinking, dove into his studies, and started on a master's of science in zoology. Each research paper, each test, each waking moment brought him one step closer to his return. Now in a pair of canoes, he and a small team floated down a green, soupy river toward the heart of the rainforest. Rupert was on a mission. Find Ahul and take a photograph. Surely this achievement would catapult Rupert toward academic success and prove his father wrong. Rupert had deduced a few facts about the creature. Based on its speed and trajectory during the first sighting, he calculated the approximate location of its home, behind a waterfall deep in the forest. Due to the beast's bat-like wings and large eyes, it must dwell in a cave and hunt at night, if that was the case, his first encounter with it had been pure luck. This was one of many hypotheses he would test on this journey, if his father could only see him now. 
He was accompanied by a sweet-hearted biologist from school, John Patterson, one of those rare companions who'd do anything for a friend, and an Indonesian guide named Reza. Reza looked stoic as she scanned the sides of the river. We're getting close. She warned Rupert and John about the dangers ahead. Out here, it was almost impossible to spot the creatures lurking on the forest floor. Each curling root could hide a spider the size of your fist, and disease soaked the air, an invisible secret in every cloud of mosquitoes. She asked Rupert if it was really worth it to him. Where they were going, it'd be difficult to get medical help. And besides, no one in the villages had spotted or even heard of this Ahul before. Not by the rivers, not by the caves, not anywhere. John looked solemn. He pushed his round glasses up the bridge of his nose and continued paddling. Finally, it dawned on Rupert. Neither of you believe me, do you? John said, I trust you saw something, Rupert. What exactly it was? Rupert threw up his hands. He was on his own again. No one thought Ahul was real. Not his father, not his friend, not the guide. He guessed that he'd have to prove them all wrong. He checked the roll of film in his satchel. He was ready to go. They docked their canoes on the muddy bank. Rupert's legs ached as he stood up. When Reza spoke, her tone was grave. Listen to the forest, because once inside, you won't see a thing. She hacked the thick brush aside and pulled it open like a weedy curtain. John and Rupert looked at one another. They stepped through the mouth into the belly of the jungle. Rupert, John, and Reza trekked through the forest. It had been a couple days since they docked. The air was so thick you could barely breathe. There were leaves as large as sails. Sweat poured from Rupert's shoulders and ran down his lower back like a waterfall. They were close. All Rupert had to do now was ignore the aching in his muscles and the itch in his throat. Earlier, he noticed the scabby chigger bite on his arm, which could mean typhus. But he wasn't going to let a little bug slow him down. Suddenly, John screamed and fell to the forest floor. Reza ran to his side. A black snake with a red head latched onto John's calf, its fangs locked in the muscle tissue. Reza grabbed a stick and beat the serpent until it let go. It slithered away through the quivering leaves on the forest floor. John grimaced. Blood dripped down his leg like red paint. Reza wrapped the bite with gauze and told Rupert to press hard on the wound. He did as instructed and felt the blood soak through the bandage, hot against his palm. After a few minutes, the bleeding stopped. John got to his feet. He assured everyone he was ready to move on. But just as they were about to leave, they looked at Reza. She seemed like she'd seen a ghost. That was no garden snake. That was a type of coral snake. If we don't get John to a hospital in a few days, he will lose coordination, have trouble breathing. He could die. Rupert saw his work turn to dust right before his eyes. They'd come so far, all the way to Java, and hadn't yet found a thing. No, it wasn't enough. They were so close to the waterfall. If they spent the night there, they could turn back first thing in the morning and make it to the village. He asked John if that would work. 
John looked apprehensive, but he didn't want to disappoint Rupert. That should give them enough time. John nodded his head. He was willing to take the risk. They picked up their packs and headed out. Rupert, Reza, and John made it to the falls, upstream from where Rupert saw Hool those many years before. Lanterns lit, they searched behind the cascade. The cavern was shallow, barely big enough to house a fruit bat, let alone a hool. Rupert did his best to conceal his disappointment as they gave up the search and hunkered down for sleep. Rupert turned on his side. He could feel his brain swelling against his skull. Blood beat against his temples. Whatever illness he had, it was no longer just a few sore muscles. He was definitely getting sicker, feverish perhaps. No need to worry the others though, especially with John's snake bite. He'd be fine, he'd sleep it off. Fitfully, he drifted off. In the recesses of his mind, under waves of sleep, Rupert thought he heard the sound, an ancient, familiar call. He awoke with a start. He tapped John on his shoulder. Did you hear that? John slowly opened his eyes and shook his head, but Reza was awake. She said she definitely heard something. Rupert nodded. This had to be it. Ahul was near. Rupert fetched his camera while Reza retrieved the lanterns. They stepped out into the lush jungle. The orange glow of the lantern glinted off the leaves, but otherwise, nothing. He asked Reza to cross the stream and search for any sign of the beast on the other side. It was only as he watched her flame grow smaller and smaller that he realized he was alone now. He searched the starless treetops. They were like black blankets thrown over the sky. If Ahul wanted him, he was defenseless. No match for the claws, the gaping mouth with stake-like teeth. Rupert's breath quivered. He looked back across the river. Reza's dim lantern drifted on the other side like a firefly. But then, all of a sudden, her light snuffed out. For a moment, Rupert stood frozen. Hesitantly, he mustered the courage to speak. Reza? The only reply was a flurry of noises, what sounded like a creature taking off into the trees, the snapping of branches, limbs, and bone. Rupert rushed across the river to where he last saw Reza's lantern. He knelt toward the ground and shone his light across the forest floor. That's when it hit him, a metallic smell. The stench crawled up his throat like a toxic fog. He gagged and placed his hand on a tree to steady himself. The trunk was strangely wet. That's when he noticed that the leaves were jet black, soaked with some sort of oil. He held his soaked palm toward the lantern. No, it wasn't oil. Blood dripped from the leaves and branches. Blood, and stuck in it, red-stained clumps of gray fur. Rupert's eyes widened. He felt horror, but also excitement. This meant Ahul was real. He was right. And he had proof. He snatched up several fur clumps and ran for the camp. 
John was awake, waiting. He asked where Reza was. Rupert told him about the disappearance, the blood, and showed him the fur. We can compare this to the wool of other beasts once we get back. If it's unique, dear John, then we've discovered a new species. We've discovered a hool. John stared at his friend, aghast. Reza had been killed, but Rupert was focused on the excitement of his find. As he busied himself stowing away his sample, he tutted at John. Don't fear, my friend. Come first light, I'll follow your every direction back. We'll get you home. John's eyes glazed over. He looked pale. But Rupert, I thought you knew the way back. Coming up, Rupert comes face to face with his discovery. Now back to the story. Rupert hauled John into the mouth of a cave. After several days of wandering around the jungle trying to find the way home, the venom from John's snake bite had spread. His words were slurring, breath was barely eking out of his chest, and his limbs were all but useless. Unfortunately, Rupert wasn't faring much better. His fever had gotten worse. Chills covered his body. He could barely hold a conversation, let alone navigate the sea of palm tree plants and twisting roots. This was it. It was time to stop the useless search. Without Reza, they wouldn't find a way out. Both men knew they were likely doomed. A silence hung between them as they listened to the rain outside. Rupert wanted to ask John one last question. Did you ever believe in a hool? John struggled to look at his friend. Finally, he just shook his head. No, he never did. Rupert was astounded. It was like a punch in the gut. But then why come? Why take the risk? To John, the answer was obvious. He whispered, for you, Rupert. The fire crackled in the silence that followed. Rupert's eyes began to sting. No one had shown him that kind of care before. Not his girlfriends, not his classmates, and certainly not his father. Perhaps John was right. Maybe Ahul was nothing. Maybe it was just a bat or an owl. He'd spent years wasting his life. And now, Reza and John had paid the price for his obsession. He watched as it became harder and harder for John to inhale. Rupert wanted to stay awake to watch over him, but eventually he gave in to the fatigue. When he woke up again, John's body was still like a rock. He was dead. The fire at Rupert's feet shimmered in waves. Nothing felt real. He was dehydrated, weak. He knew he was on his way out, too. He closed his eyes, letting the sound of the endless rain lull him once again. Rupert's eyes shot open. Was that what he thought it was? Somewhere from deep within the cave, the same haunting wail he'd been searching for, the tortured scream, that awful howl. Rupert took the camera out of the pack and pulled himself to his feet. There was still a little oil left in the lamp. He lit the flame and turned toward the infinite blackness. It was time to journey in. 
Rupert quivered as he shuffled through the dark. The flame danced across slippery stone walls. After turning a few corners, the soft gleam of outside light dissolved, and eventually Rupert was swimming in pitch darkness. Distant cries bubbled up from the endless cavern below. Bats. Voices. Was that his father's voice? He had no idea where he was going or if he could find his way back. All that was important now was following the sounds. Rupert heard it again. This time, the cry was even closer. His legs wanted to run back, but he forced them forward. The wet rock squeezed tighter and tighter around him until he could barely stretch out his arms. His body felt hotter and more feverish than ever. His vision was hazy, but he knew he was getting closer to the cave's end and his answer. Only the cave's end wasn't forward, it was down. He didn't see the gaping chasm until he was already falling into an even deeper, darker abyss. Rupert landed on the hard ground. Luckily, the lantern was intact. He touched the cold walls. Rock towered far over his head on all sides. There was no way out. Rupert thought he heard scuffing from the ceiling of the cave. He looked into the pitch black overhead. All he heard was a noise like a talon scraping against the ceiling of the cave. And then... A hulking figure descended from the lightless sky. It landed just feet away. Rupert felt the ground shake as he held the lantern toward the creature that had haunted the last couple years of his life. Its magnificent pterodactyl-like wings unfurled, high above Rupert's head like the wings of an angel. Ahul was breathtaking, more spectacular than Rupert could have ever imagined. With his left hand, he slowly raised the camera. It was the moment he'd been waiting years for. He took the picture. Rupert finally had what he needed, undeniable proof that he was right all along. He was sure he'd gotten a great close-up. Ahul's rotten breath poured from its gaping, wet nostrils. Saliva dripped from its mealy lips. Its slick fangs glistened. Ahul skittered closer, and the creature's hollow, black eyes looked down on Rupert, expressionless like an owl's. Rupert crawled back and touched something hard behind him. He realized what it was, a human skull. Rupert lowered the camera. Inside, a square of celluloid held the image of a beast that no one else had seen. If only someone could develop it for him. If only his father could see the photograph, the great Edward G. Meyer would finally be proud of his son. Rupert was sure of it. So much so that when Ahul started to tear Rupert's body limb from limb, he almost didn't mind. The Indonesian rainforest is home to a wide range of little-known animals and beasts. 
One of these is the Bartles Wood Owl, a bird with haunting black eyes, a flat face, and impressive wings, bearing more than a passing resemblance to a hool. It was named for the Swiss-German naturalist who discovered it, Max E.G. Bartles. Max uncovered many species in the area. Meanwhile, the ahul was only spotted twice, and both times by the same man, Max's son, Ernst. Ernst was likely inspired by his father's work and wanted to showcase his own prowess. Ernst desperately wanted Ahul taken seriously. He and a biologist named Ivan T. Sanderson wrote an article titled The One True Batman, which theorized that Ahul could belong to a family of megabats. Ernst chose a great partner for the article. Sanderson was a prolific chronicler of the natural world. However, Ernst's father probably wouldn't have been impressed. While zoology is the study of animals, it was Sanderson who came up with the term cryptozoology, the study of hidden animals. The Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, the Chupacabra, they all have their roots in cryptozoology. Folklorist Peter Dendel wrote that this field seeks to recapture the magic of a natural world that's been overexplored. But there's also an element of resistance. Cryptozoology stands in defiance against the scientific community, one that holds all the power and, quote, monopolizes the pool of culturally acceptable beliefs. In short, cryptozoology was born from opposition. And perhaps so was Ahul. It's more than likely that this creature was just the imaginative result of a man living in his father's shadow. Of course, until we know for sure, beware its wild, inhuman cry. Because once you hear it, those sun-blotting wings and backwards claws won't be far behind. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another international cryptid. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Ben Caro, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Freddie Beckley and Aaron Larson. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, listeners, it's Vanessa. Exciting news, ParCast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before details which haven't even been explored in our cults podcast visit parcast.com cults to pre-order your copy of cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them